You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you speak to us now? We know that you're a God who speaks, who gave his word through the prophets of old, through your son Jesus, and in your word, the Bible. We ask that you would speak through it this evening and through, your, through me, your servant, that we might hear you and that we might know you and love you. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, you probably know this yourself in your own life. You've probably experienced this, but words have power, don't they? You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will give me psychological problems and counselling forever. That's how the the phrasing should go. You know, are you pregnant? Does this look good on me? You're fired. I do. These words have power in our life. Uh, In our passage today in Luke's Gospel, if you would have that open with me, uh, we see a tale of two powers, of this clash of, of two titans, Jesus and this centurion. And there's a few other clashes going on. There's this Jew and Gentile clash. There's a clash between pride and humility. But this main clash is between uh, the power of the centurion, the power of a man who can command a hundred soldiers, and the power of Jesus who has the power over sin and death, over sickness and death, I should say. Last week in chapter 6, we heard about Jesus' teaching uh, and Luke put the focus on on what Jesus was trying to say and what he was teaching, how a follower of Jesus is not just a hearer of the word, but a doer also. And now in this week in chapter 7, we see that these claims of authority, that Jesus is someone that should be followed, are now backed up with great power. By his very word, a, a human is healed, a person is healed. So Luke shifts the focus from Jesus' teaching to his authority, proving that he is, in fact, the Messiah. Proving that his words are backed up by action and that he is one worthy of following. So in verses 1 and 2, Luke sets the scene for us. Jesus has finished his saying all these things in the hearing of people and he enters into the region of Galilee. And there's a centurion there who has a servant who is highly valued by him, and he is sick to the point of death. And so the centurion sends some elders of the Jews to ask Jesus to heal this servant. And so they come and they plead with Jesus to heal this servant. Jesus agrees and he goes with them. But when he's not far from the centurion's house, the centurion sends his own friends to explain to Jesus that he doesn't have to come all the way to his place. He just needs to say the word and this servant will be healed. For this centurion recognises Jesus' power. Much like himself, he realises that Jesus' words have power of command and that just by speaking, his servant will be healed. Jesus is amazed. Never has anyone trusted in Jesus like this centurion. And when the centurion's friends return home, the servant is healed just as the centurion had expected. Well, what does this all mean? What is it all about? 
Well, let's start with the centurion. The fact that this is a centurion is very significant. This story centers on the power to kind of command things to happen. And we see this in in verse 8. Look at that verse with me. He says, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go. And he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, a centurion was an officer in the Roman army who had command over a hundred men. So a hundred men being a century, uh, one hundred century, therefore centurion was his name. So a centurion had the power to command a hundred people to do whatever he wanted them to do. When he said jump, They didn't ask how high, they just jumped at his command. Their life was in his hands and at his very word. And yet for all his power to command these soldiers, he is powerless over sickness and death. He can command people to do whatever he wants. He can send them into battle and send them to their death. But healing people is not within his control. He's helpless and he knows it. He needs Jesus. He hasn't yet seen Jesus with his own eyes, but he's, he's heard reports about Jesus' healing. And he understands Jesus' authority and his identity as God. And he, he trusts that for Jesus, time and space mean nothing. Jesus could speak the word right there where he was and his servant would be healed. And what makes this even more curious that this is a centurion is that he's Roman. This is kind of scandalous for Jesus. This man is a Gentile. Though that doesn't seem to bother the elders of the Jews, you know, they consider him worthy of Jesus' time and attention. But look at verse 4. They pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he's the one who built us our synagogue. The Jews... The elders of the Jews consider this man worthy, but we need to remember that salvation belonged to the Jews. The nation of Israel was chosen by God to be his very own people. Anyone who was not a part of Israel was considered to be unworthy to uh, commune, to relate with God. So in Israel, there were two types of people. There were Jews and there was everyone else, the Gentiles. There was the nations. And it's even more curious when we consider that this officer is, this guy is an officer in the Roman Empire. A leader in the nation that was oppressing Israel, that had control over the nation of Israel. But we see all throughout Jesus' ministry that Gentiles will not be excluded from the kingdom of God. In chapter 3, uh, sorry, chapter 23 of Luke's Gospel, It was a centurion at Jesus' crucifixion who says, certainly this man was innocent. And in Acts chapter 10, we meet another centurion, Cornelius, in uh, Luke's second book of the Bible. And Cornelius exhibits exemplary faith as a God-fearer. He prays and gives alms and receives the Holy Spirit in response to Peter's preaching. So here in Luke 7, we get a glimpse of God's great rescue plan his salvation through Jesus being extended out even to the Gentiles. Now this is good news for you and for me, for even Americans and Australians are granted access into the kingdom of God. That is good news. 
Salvation is no longer centred on a particular people, uh, people group, a particular group of people, but it's centred on a particular person, Jesus Christ. It is faith in him that saves you. It's the faith of this centurion that heals his servant. So receiving grace from Jesus does not depend on whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. It does not depend on your social status or your religious affiliation or your good works. It's not the worthiness of this centurion that amazed Jesus. It was his faith. In Matthew's account of this encounter, after Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith, we read this, And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. The healing of the servant occurs because of the faith of the centurion. Not because he's worthy, not because he deserves it, but because he believes in Jesus' power to do so, to heal. Now I need to pause on a kind of pastoral note here. I mentioned this a little bit last week when we're talking about building on a solid foundation and how uh, even as a Christian, the storms of life will crash against you. Uh, and some people think that if you are a Christian and you're not being healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. It's because you lack faith. Well, that is totally untrue. God doesn't promise to heal you physically in this life if you just have enough faith, if you can just kind of conjure up enough faith. Jesus didn't bring an end to his own suffering on the cross. Paul wasn't healed of his thorn in the flesh. Paul tells Timothy to drink wine for his frequent illnesses. And there were many people around Jesus' ministry all throughout the Gospels that weren't healed. There's no guarantee in this life that you will be happy and healthy. That is reserved for the life that is to come. That is the hope of the Christian life, in fact, that there will be a day when there will be no more pain and suffering. But that's not to say that God can't heal you in this life. He is God. He created all things. He certainly has the power. By the very word of his mouth, he can move mountains, he can raise the dead, he can heal you today but he never promises to do so in this life. That is the hope of the life that is to come. See, the focus of our passage today isn't actually on the healing of the servant. It's included as almost an afterthought in verse 10. Look at verse 10, it says, And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. They've gone to tell Jesus he doesn't need to come. He's amazed at the faith of centurion. They go home and... The servant is healed. But in the foreground, so the healing kind of happens in the background of all that's going on, but in the foreground is the faith of the centurion. Because this passage crescendos at verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Luke and Jesus want everyone to know that this is about faith. The elders of the Jews, they highlight the deeds of this man, whereas Jesus highlights his faith. And this comes, at, comes as condemnation for Israel. This Gentile has greater faith than anyone in all of Israel. A faith not based on works, a faith that does not think that God will help me if I have done something to earn it, 
but that God will help despite who I am or what I've done. There's such an interesting interplay here between pride and humility as the elders of the Jews point to his works and as the centurion kind of brings himself down. The elders puff him up, but the centurion brings himself down in humility before Jesus as he comes before him or as his friends come before him. We see this in verse 6. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. This almost sounds like our prayer of humble access. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. Or like the prodigal son who comes home after squandering his father's money and says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The centurion realises his place before Jesus, before God. If Jesus really is God, then he is the supreme authority and this centurion does not measure up. But his hope is based on the power and goodness of Jesus, not on his own power or worthiness. He understands that he is unworthy, unworthy for Jesus to come into his house, unworthy of even meeting Jesus. He sends others to talk to him. But he doesn't need to be worthy to ask Jesus for help. He recognises his desperate need for help and his complete inability to do anything about it. The centurion had every right to puff himself up, a very powerful man in his own right, a commander of soldiers, but he is powerless in the face of death. And he recognises that this poor Jewish man, this carpenter's son, truly has the power over life and death, the power to heal with a very word. What does this mean for us? How do we apply this? There's so much going on in this passage. What, What can we get out of it? Firstly, Luke is kind of building a case that Jesus is God. He's not just another false prophet or a lunatic claiming to be God, but he has the power to speak and heal people. Just like in Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke the world into existence, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Secondly, this story prepares us for a message that Paul will later declare after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul will say, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is not something that one earns, it's something that one can only receive by faith. And it's given to prodigals, to publicans, to prostitutes, and even to Gentile soldiers. This passage is pointing to something so much greater than just our physical healing. Not only does it give us a glimpse of the healing that is to come, a glimpse of heaven when we will be finally healed, free of pain and suffering, but it shows us that Jesus has the power over death. So often we see ourselves as the hero of the story, where the David conquering our Goliath, we're kind of the king coming into his kingdom. You might think of yourself as the hero of this this story. But the reality is that we are this sick servant who needs Jesus' help. The Bible says that we are all spiritually dead 
because of our sins and our trespasses. And we need Jesus to give us life, to heal us. The good news is that Jesus has the power over sin and death. And when he says, it is finished, we are healed. For through faith in him, in his death and resurrection, we are raised to new life. Now, you may have already received this new life. uh, And I want to say, praise God. I'm not very charismatic, and so that sounds kind of a little bit dull. You know, praise God. But believe me that that is a good thing if you've received new life in Jesus. So praise God. Where am I? But be encouraged by the power of Jesus here. So you may know that Jesus has the power to raise you from the dead. But if you're anything like me, you probably think that he, has the, he doesn't have as much power over the smaller things in your life. You know, like your children's future, though that sounds like a big thing. But, you know, smaller things of job security, time and money, how you use all your resources that you have. He has the power over spiritual things, but earthly matters, that's, that's my domain, that's my control. That's where I take over. Well, be encouraged that Jesus has the power over all things. He speaks and the world changes. The waters are divided, the land forms, the sick are healed and the dead are raised. So whatever burden, whatever problem you come here with this evening, whatever life stage you're at, listen to the word of Jesus. Humble yourself before him. Come to him with your pain and your suffering. And through prayer, trust that if he can heal a sick man, He can do so much more with your life. Let's pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, God of all hope, fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you and your power so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.